So, uh, check your batteries before you come on stage. Next time you preach, uh, make sure that they're fully charged or else you've got uh, some new ones. So, uh, sorry to say a minute ago, I uh, um, felt like bragging on myself. I'm not sure we need to do that now. Uh, but um, last night, we were at Jennifer's uh, work Christmas party. It was at a pickleball place over in uh, Overland Park on 91st and uh, Metcalf. And when you walk in, this place is called Serve. They have... Um, TVs all over, and, you know, it's kind of this restaurant setting, and then there's courts out to the side, and uh, as we walked in there, uh, you know, there's like 25 TVs all over the the room, and all of them are on this basketball game that I guess people cared about, Um, because I guess Kansas was playing somebody that mattered, I don't know, Uh, but uh, that game was up on the screen, and I just want you to know, like, I got one of the TVs changed, I was very proud of myself. I was like, hey, I know there's this game nobody cares about. OU's playing right now. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Can we put the OU game on? And so I just wanted you to know, I apparently now have enough influence in this community that I got one TV changed to the OU basketball game last night. I I was pretty proud of that, so. Hear that insult, so I'm just going to roll with that. Are we good here now? There we go. I, I have to have hands free. Otherwise, I would throw that mic at some point during the sermon. So, um, Well, hey, we're glad you're here with us today. Uh, oh, sorry for the uh, little fumbling there at the beginning. We're in week three of this series called A Low-Key Christmas, where we've uh, kind of looked at what happens if we scale Christmas back. And we just look at what really matters with Christmas, uh, you know, our mindsets, our attitudes, our approaches to other people. We started by looking kind of in the first week at the whole concept of not feeling the need to keep up with the Joneses and and instead get back to what, what really matters at Christmas. Last week, we started talking about the idea of peace and that peace is a result of reconciliation with God when it comes to, especially this time of the year. That's what this is ultimately about, is about God sending his son into the world to be a path for us to be reconciled back to him. And if you might recall, if you were here last week, we mentioned there's three types of peace uh, for us. Uh, the first is peace with God. That's the peace we have because we're, we're made right with him when we accept him into our hearts, when we accept his forgiveness We're made whole again. We're restored back to him. The second one was peace with yourself. Remember we said, what do you you see when you look in the mirror? Can you answer that question uh, with something positive, like I'm a child of God? Or or do you answer it with some construct that you've come up with over the course of time? And then we said the third one is peace with others. And I kind of left you hanging on that one, which we would come back to it today. But we said these are a progression. You can't get down the line until you have number one. And you can't get to number three unless you have one and two. We said we can't, you can't give what you don't have to others. And so today we're going to camp out on this idea of, of peace with others. Now let me ask you a question kind of before we jump in, kind of to, to set things up a little bit. We're now middle of December here. How many of you are fully into Christmas music season? I know Ben said, you know, he doesn't like Christmas music. That's fine. You know, nobody's perfect, right? But um, how many of you are, are you're fully into it? You're like, I'm jamming out in the car. You know, I am, am, am 
singing in my office, I'm singing to whatever version of, of whatever song comes on, even if it's Mariah Carey, I'm singing along anyways, right? Have you ever stopped and just thought about the songs you're singing? Like, I love Christmas music, and I try to reserve it for this time of the year. I don't sing it all year long. But every once in a while, I actually just don't even sing it. I just look at the words to it instead because of, of how the words are, uh, are phrased. There's so many good messages behind them. Now, some of them, they're not really deep and meaningful. Some of them are very basic and simple, like one that we sing every year, one that we sing at, at caroling the other night, we wish you a Merry Christmas, okay? I mean, just look at the words. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. In case you're like my children and didn't hear me the first two times, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We really want to get that point across that we want you to have a good Christmas. And even the next part of it goes on to say, glad tidings we bring to you and your kin. One more time, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Now, you may not know the next verse to this song. It's really actually deeply theological. The next verse to this song goes like this. Now, bring us some figgy pudding. Now bring us some figgy pudding. And hey, one more time, bring us some figgy pudding. You guys know what figgy pudding actually is? I would say don't Google it, but I'm going to go ahead and show you anyway. Uh, this is figgy pudding. It doesn't look that bad or that good. Um, <clears throat> let me just say, I'm not going to sing this verse anymore because I looked up what's in that. I don't want anybody to bring me figgy pudding. So just leave that at home. You can keep that yourself. Some of our Christmas songs are just kind of fun and silly, right? Some of them, though, actually do get into a, a deeper meaning, like the song Silent Night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Now, you know, when I was a kid, I used to, to sing this song and think, that's describing that first Christmas night. And then I was in the delivery room three times when my wife gave birth. There's nothing silent about that process. Some of you know this, right? <laughs> nothing silent about that at all. Nothing calm about that at all. But it's not describing that moment that Jesus was born. It's describing the feeling around that. Like Christ came to the earth to bring us silence in the chaos, to bring us calm in the busyness, to bring us uh, peace when everything seems to be falling apart. That's what that silent night really represents, Jesus coming to this earth to bring us all of that. And we kind of talked about that last week, you know, peace with God, peace with yourself. What about this song? I know we sang this one last week, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild. I'll look at the last line, God and Sinners Reconciled. You think about Christmas, that's what Christmas is. It's about Christ coming to this earth to reconcile us to God. About Christ coming so that we could experience reconciliation and redemption and restoration with God. And I think that's, that's something that this time of the year especially is such a difficult topic because we can recognize reconciliation with God. And, and as we talked last week, maybe we struggle with this, maybe not. But you can get to a point where you're good with yourself. But I don't need to see a show of hands. I'm, I'd be curious, though, how many of you have some kind of personal strife with at least one person right now? And I don't need to see hands. I said that the last two services, don't show me your hands. At 8 o'clock, two people raise their hands. They're married. <laughs> Setting side by side. And... Uh, Afterwards, he did come up and tell me, uh, it's not with each other. 
I said, well, that's good. Brad's not back until January, and that's his area. So if it is, you're just going to have to, you know, hold on to that for a couple of mo- couple more weeks, right? But I would dare say we all have someone right now in our life that is just separated from us for whatever reason. And this holiday season, I think, shines a light on that maybe a little bit more than other times of the year. Maybe it's friction with the spouse. We, we joke about it, but maybe it is. Maybe it's friction with, with your kids or your parents or, or with a sibling, somebody that you're going to be with a lot in the next couple of weeks. And that tension just kind of grows. It kind of festers and can become frustration. Maybe it's a full-on chasm between you and this other person. And it makes me wonder... If Christmas is about reconciliation, then why is relational tension so magnified this time of the year? I think it's magnified because we often don't experience what we celebrate. We're celebrating reconciliation, but yet we don't have it with other people. We don't have it in our hearts with somebody else that might have hurt us or that we might have hurt and pushed away. Often this time of the year especially, we don't experience what we celebrate. In Colossians 1, Paul starts to lay out this view of who Jesus really is. And he says in Colossians 1, starting in verse 19, he says, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Him is Jesus here. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, here's the thing we need to understand. Yes, Christmas is, is all about God reconciling us back to him, but it can't stop there. Think about this for just a moment here. Do you think God sent his son to the earth to reconcile us to him so that we could refuse reconciliation to somebody else, so that we could keep somebody else pushed away at arm's reach? I don't think that he did. And the reason I think that is because once Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important law in Matthew 22? And Jesus replied this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But a second one is like it. Remember the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And who's my neighbor? Well, Jesus would point and probably say it's whoever's standing right in front of you. It's whoever that person is that you're close to and also far away from. Your neighbor, Jesus said, is that person that you might feel like you would have the hardest time relating to. That was the whole parable of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan was not a person that a good Jewish person would look at as honorable. In fact, the whole word good Samaritan is a bit of a paradox in and of itself. No, Jesus said, love God and love others. He didn't separate them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And if you feel like it, love certain neighbors. No. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we find ourselves, I think, too often this time of the year is there's friction in there with somebody. Can I just tell you this, church? You can't be vertically right with God if you're not horizontally right with others. You can't cling to that towards somebody and be vertically aligned with God. It just doesn't work out that way. And this is, again, where we find ourselves too much this time of the year. And any time I think we have one of these kind of moments of strife or one of these times of conflict with somebody else, I mean, we naturally put a guard up, right? We naturally push back against whoever it is on that other side. We have excuses that we come up with why we're not going to offer reconciliation, why we're not going to offer forgiveness, 
And maybe they're valid, maybe they're not, but these are often what we come up with here. We might say, well, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault that happened. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We're going through this with Titus, our five-year-old. Uh, everything right now is somebody else's fault. Everybody, everything else, he didn't do it, somebody else did. Titus, uh, did you leave your cup in the living room? Uh, that was Amelie. Titus, did you leave your dirty underwear in the bathroom floor? Uh, that was Elsie. <laughs> Titus's dirty underwear, by the way. <laughs> Titus, did you leave popsicle wrappers on the trampoline? Uh, that was the dog. We've had this dog five years, and suddenly he's opening up popsicles with scissors and then getting on the trampoline to eat them, you know? <laughs> now, you laugh about it with a five-year-old, but sometimes we do the same thing. wasn't my fault, or maybe you said this, well, that other person's never tried to take the first step, so why should I? They've never said I'm sorry. They've never shown any remorse. They haven't shown they've changed. They're still who they are. Or maybe you said this, well, it costs too much. Forgiveness costs too much. You don't know how much pain I've had to endure. You don't know uh, what I had to go through. Or maybe you've said this, I tried. I reached out to them and they didn't reciprocate. They didn't really, they just kind of ignored it or maybe they slapped my hand away. Maybe you've said one of these four things. Can we get kind of honest for a second? Look at these four excuses. Because if we're very honest with ourselves, God can use all four of those against us. And they're right. God could have said, it's not my fault they're sinful. Well, if they take the first step, then I'll do something about it. Well, it, it's going to cost way too much to fix the problem. Or, you know what? I tried. <laughs> I tried, but they didn't want me. God could have used any of those excuses, and yet he sent Jesus to us anyway. He offered us forgiveness and grace anyway. That's what Christmas is all about, is the reconciliation. Jesus was born so that he could die to forgive us of our sins and restore us and redeem us back to the Father. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're holding on to one of these right now. Can I ask you a question? Are you withholding the very thing that we celebrate this time of the year? Are you withholding forgiveness and grace and reconciliation while you're celebrating what God did for us. A pastor friend of mine said something this week that kind of hit me. He said, what if we're thanking God for not holding us to a standard that we hold others to? He said that, and I just kind of sat there and thought, man. <laughs> you, ever, you ever hear those, somebody say something, and you're like, okay, you could have just said my name. You didn't have to, like, you know, sugarcoat it there. It's like, man, do we do that right? God sent Jesus to us without us asking for it. Without us admitting that we were wrong, he had sent Jesus to us. But yet, what do we do with our grace? It's conditional. You've got to earn it. You've got to show you deserve it. Which is funny because it goes completely against what the actual definition of grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. And yet we cling to one of those four excuses. Well, let's just go back and look at those and, and imagine we took these, uh, these from God's point of view here. Like, like let's go back and, and use that very first defense. Well, it wasn't my fault. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But if that's the case between us and God, well, it wasn't my fault, God. The Bible kind of says otherwise. 
Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when you look at this verse here, I've said this before, it's two different verb tenses at play here. All have sinned, past tense. All fall short, present tense, active tense. In other words, we have sinned, we're going to continue to sin. That's just who we are. We're broken, messy people. We're flawed people. And we're not capable of living a life where sin's not going to happen. But yet, we like to claim it wasn't our fault. <laughs> no, no, go back to that passage we were talking about in Colossians 1, where Paul's laying out who Jesus is. In, in verse 21, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of the evil behavior. You're like, man, that's an uplifting verse, Kurt. Glad I came to church today. But no, go to the next one. But now, verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Right there, those two verses is the gospel. Those two verses is the gospel message. We were enemies of God. We were sinful and broken, but... Through Christ, we've been reconciled. Through him, we have been made whole and presented as pure. Maybe you're in a strife with somebody right now. You're in conflict with somebody right now. Maybe it really wasn't your fault. Maybe the other person did something you didn't. Those happen. But can I just remind you of something? At some point in your life, you were at conflict with somebody, and it was your fault. And guess what? some point in the future, it'll probably happen again. At least that's how it is for me. There's sometimes things happen. I had nothing I could have done. Other times, <laughs> guess who was behind the wheel? Like, it's just, that's how we are. We're going to cause problems. We're going to be at fault. Or maybe you said this one, well, they never tried to take a legitimate first step. Okay? Well, let's see. What did, what did God say about that with us? Well, in Romans 5, he says that he demonstrates his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You've heard me say this. This is one verse in the Bible sometimes I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. Sometimes I have a hard time believing it. Not because I don't believe Scripture is inspired of God. I believe every word of it. But because this isn't how we function. This isn't how we're wired. No, we want the other person to make the first step. We want the other person to show remorse, to show they've changed, to show that they're worthy of our grace. And yet, it says very clearly, while we were still sinners. Can you imagine this? God didn't wait for us to get our act together. And if we were in a world where we all just waited for the other person to take the first step, we would be miles and miles apart all the time. But I think that if we, if we really truly did that, waited always for the other person to take the first step, we would each be on our own island of division within marriages, parents and kids, siblings, work colleagues, etc. We would all be on our own island of isolation. In fact, I think like this, if, if you want to really truly look like Jesus, be the one to take the first step. No matter what the other person did, be the one to take the first step towards reconciliation. You might never look more like Jesus than when you do that. Remember the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. While we were still sinners, his one and only son. You might say, number three, it costs too much. You don't, don't know what I had to deal with. I can't put all these pieces back together. I can never be repaid for this. And maybe you can't. 
Maybe the cost was that great that you're never going to get it all back together. But let me tell you something, too. You don't know exactly how much reconciliation costs and how much that's going to help you until you start getting into those waters, until you start doing it, until you start the process of that healing. You just can't get there. But I can tell you this. I can tell you nobody's ever done anything to me compared to what I've done to God. And nobody's done it with the regularity that I do it to God. Nobody's hurt me with the regularity that I've, I hurt God with on a daily basis because of my brokenness, because of my, my limitations. Or, or maybe, again, you go back to this one and you say, oh, I tried. I reached out to them. I tried to offer reconciliation, and they smacked my hand away. Let's flip this just a little bit here. I don't need a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you didn't come to the Lord until later in life, and you look back and realize how long he chased you, how long he pursued you. Maybe he pursued you for years, and you heard it constantly, I'm right here, I want you. Maybe you had somebody in your family who tried to share the gospel with you time and to the point it infuriated you. And maybe that's caused the strife that you're in right now. I had a few people after the first two services say, yeah, that's my strife, my kids kind of want to push me away because they won't listen to me. Maybe they won't. But I'm so thankful that I have a God that didn't tell me that. I'm so thankful I have a God that didn't say, I tried, sorry, <laughs> got to go somewhere else now. No, what did God do instead? <clears throat> you can look at what God did for us. God came for us and we didn't deserve it. He came for us while we were still sinners. Didn't even say <laughs> He waited until we stopped sinning to come for us. No, right in the middle of it, he came for us. God took the first step when we wouldn't take it. I don't think that we could have taken it. And God came for us anyway. It cost him way more than we could ever repay. Again, what has somebody done to me and, and what is that going to cost me? It could cost a lot. It really could. But there's nothing I could ever do to pay God back for what he's done for me. And this one, this one to me is the big one. He continues to offer us grace even when we refuse to receive it. See, here's the thing you have to understand. At some point, you may get to a point where you stop offering it. We've got people in our family that we've offered it and offered it. They don't want any part of it. We don't call them and bug them all the time, but we let them know we're here. At some point, you know, the other person has to take a, take a step and receive it. But all you can do is offer it. With humility, with sincerity, it's up to the other person to decide what to do with that. Over the last uh, year or so, Jennifer and I got introduced to uh, the show Ted Lasso. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, I'm not going to endorse it from the stage here. Uh, if, if you've seen it, you know why. Uh, it's not a family-friendly show. But one thing I like about it is the attitude of the main character. Because his heart is pure. His heart is wholesome. It's played by uh, Jason Sudeikis, who's, you know, from this area. And like him, the, the character of Ted Lasso is from here. He's an American football coach who gets hired to be a soccer coach in the Premier League in England. If you know nothing about soccer, which Ted Lasso doesn't, it's the top soccer league in the world. And he's hired as a joke. He's hired because he knows nothing about the sport, nothing about the league, nothing about how it operates, and the whole purpose is the owners are divorcing and the wife wants to humiliate her ex-husband by making the team a laughing stock. So she hires him and it goes about how you would expect. Except over the course of time, Ted's just refusal to get down, 
His refusal to see things with a negative outlook wins people over. And as they kind of progress through, they, they find this equipment manager that works for the team as kind of a soccer genius and comes in and starts helping him understand the game to the point where the team responds well and they win and they're successful. And they're successful in large part because of what Nate has told Ted. And you get later on, Nate starts to get resentful because Ted gets the credit for what he came up with until somebody finally realizes it came from Nate and then his ego explodes. And he becomes this egotistical kind of uh, just, just a jerk. And he storms out on the team. He cusses Ted out. He humiliates the team. He hurts them all. He destroys the locker room and leaves. And towards the end of the show, Nate realizes that what he chased wasn't what he wanted all along. And Ted, of all the people that Nate hurts, Ted was who he hurt the worst, but yet you wouldn't know that because his attitude towards Nate never changed. He still loved him. He realized he made a mistake. And I want to show you this clip. And as it kind of sets up, Ted has, has discovered the security camera footage of the night that, that Nate destroyed the locker room. And like a lot of cases in here, it wasn't Ted that was hurting the worst. It was Ted's best friend. Because a lot of times what hurts us the worst isn't what happens to us. It's what happens to somebody close to us. And as they're watching the footage, Ted is getting a kick out of it and laughing. His best friend, Coach Beard, is infuriated. But watch this clip and see how they respond and how it leads to, to a redemption with Nate. Ah, <sighs> You know, I don't know about you, Coach, but I hope that either all of us or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moments, but rather by the strength we show when and if we're ever given a second chance. All right, have fun tonight, coach. Yeah, kill me. Ted and I met playing college football. He was a backup punter, I was a backup kicker. We never got in a game, but we spent a lot of time together jogging and doing box jumps. After school, we went our separate ways. He was dating Michelle, got into coaching, and I got into prison. When I got paroled, I had no money, family didn't want me, I had nowhere to go. So I looked up Ted. He took me in, fed me, let me crash on his couch. And in return, I stole his car. I didn't get far. And I would have gone straight back to prison if Ted didn't come down there and convince those cops that he gave me the car. Just like in Les Mis? Our story is very similar to Les Mis, yes. You went to prison? Yes, for stealing a loaf of meth. And then I stole from my friend, who forgave me and gave me a job and a life. So to honor that, I forgive you. I offer you a job. The life part's up to you. 
Thank you. You sure you don't want to headbutt me? I think it might make us feel better. Monday, 10 a.m. Coach Beard wanted to do anything other than go to Nate's apartment that night. Until Ted said, I hope either all of us or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moments. I think... That's advice we could file away and look to each other. I hope none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moments, but by what we do and the character we show and the decisions we make when given a second chance. One of the things that I loved about that clip, and I don't get emotional watching TV very often, but, but I caught myself emotional in the midst of that because it was a long build-up to that moment in the show but was when Coach Beard explained what he had done to Ted. I stole from him. I hurt him. And he forgave me. And to honor that, I forgive you. What has somebody done to you that's worse than what you've done to God? And are you honoring God and his forgiveness in your own life by extending that grace to others? Let me remind you of something. It's not just a suggestion, it's actually a command. Jesus says in Matthew 6, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. That's a verse that a lot of you know by heart. A lot of you have filed that away. Some of you may not have. But it's one worth re remembering and being reminded of every so often. I know I need that. Because it's easy to brush off maybe what somebody did to me and let it go. But not offer forgiveness. Not try to heal a relationship that was broken. Not try to restore and reconcile something that maybe I played a part in breaking. Let me ask you a question. It's, it's your takeaway question today. How about this season we demonstrate what we celebrate. Why not demonstrate what we celebrate? If you're celebrating Christmas, you're celebrating the reconciliation we have with God, why not demonstrate that with others? And you may say, I don't know where to start. Well, here's three quick steps for you. Number one, make the first move. Maybe it wasn't your fault. Who cares? Make the first move. Be the first one to reach out. Number two, do it with humility. That's something for me, those two kind of go hand in hand. I don't know how many times there's been strife, and in my heart of hearts, I believe I was not the one at fault. But I go ahead and apologize anyway. I go ahead and make the move anyway. I have to swallow my pride. It's not always easy to do. Make the first move. Do it with humility. And number three, remember that you own the offer, not the result. You can't force the other person to accept your offer of forgiveness, just like God can't force you to accept his salvation. And no, you don't have to go beat on somebody's door every day until they forgive you. 
Or you don't have to go offer it over and over and over until they're good with it. But you let them know you're there. Let them know you'll always be there. Check in on them from time to time. No, you can't force somebody to accept that. But folks, if you treasure the forgiveness and grace you have in your life, the peace you have from God and with God, we need to extend that to others as well too. So here's a question for you. Who do you need to reach out to today or this week? Who do you need to reach out to to start to repair things before Christmas shows up here in a couple of weeks? We've all got somebody. So who is it for you? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus. The blood that reconciles and restores us back to you. We're thankful, Lord, for the redemption and the restoration that you've given us through him. And God, I pray that we would extend that to others as well too. God, God, I know that we have real hurts. We have real pains. We have real trauma that, that has happened to us. And I don't want to brush that off as if it's nothing. It is. But God, I pray we would be able to look through that and work through that as, as hard as it may be to work through that and offer the same thing to others that you have given to us. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his blood that brings us to you. We pray today in his name. Friday and Saturday, uh, my brother and I made a very quick trip up to Nebraska, about six hours away. My uh, great aunt had just passed away. She'd been in the rest home for a while. She was older and got dementia and all the things that go along with that. And so when she passed, um, it's rather abrupt. But anyways, we decided to go up and go to the memorial service because my great aunt was pretty close to us. Uh, when my grandma died, her sister, she kind of stepped into that role somewhat for us. And her and her husband were at everything we ever did, and she was just a dear lady to us. And so we thought maybe this is a last opportunity to be able to see some of the people that were connected with her and that side of the family. So we went to the funeral yesterday morning, and I got to tell you, sitting through that memorial service was just a gift because it wasn't a sad affair. It was a very joyous affair because they talked about her life, the kind of person she was. And, and there was four things that the minister talked about in her life, which was faith, family, friends, and fun. And sometimes fun was at the top of the list, but <laughs> she was definitely about faith. She loved Jesus with everything. And I think that's where that fun came from. I don't know how many 80-year-olds you know that are enjoying slip and slides more than the great-grandkids, but we got pictures to prove it, and it was hilarious. That's just the kind of person she was. She really loved to have fun. And when we take communion, I like to think about when we take communion more like that kind of an event, where we remember the good things about Christ. Not just the death, not just the resurrection. Those are important. We always remember those as well, but that's incomplete. Because if we look at the life of Christ, there is so much he did that reminds us of everything that's good in our life. 
because of what he did, how he lived his life. So my encouragement to you as we take communion together today is not to just pigeonhole it to one idea, but just be thankful for Christ and everything he did throughout his life and the things that he is doing because he is alive in your lives right now. So take communion and whatever thought enters your heart, thinking about what Christ did, just stay in a place of gratitude for that moment. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm just thankful for the life that you lived, the model that you gave us, that when we take communion together, we can stop and remember your life from front to end. We're about to enter in the season where we celebrate your birth. And every Sunday we come together, we celebrate your death and resurrection. But God, I wanna take today just to remember all of the time in between as well, because you modeled for us so well what it looks to live a life that honors your Father, our God in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name we pray, amen. Before we dismiss, there's just a few more things on the calendar we want you to be aware of coming up. Um, this Friday night, we're going to have our uh, Christmas movie camp out. We're going to be in this room right here. We're going to provide you with a few of the chairs that you're probably sitting in right now to help assist you in building something and like an epic house fort. If you've ever done that where you throw the blankets and you just kind of make something huge. And then we're going to judge you. And if you're good at it, you'll get a prize. So... Dads, I hope you kind of show up and really kind of build something pretty phenomenal. I've seen pictures in the past, so I know you got it in you. So come with your kids, enjoy that. We also engineered this in such a way that uh, we've got three different movies we're going to play. And they're old school Christmas movies, you know, like The Grinch and that kind of thing. So they're about 20, 25 minute long segments. And there'll be an intermission in between so you can go up and get your snacks and popcorn. And if you got real littles, that's, that's a good opportunity for you to be able to jump a little early and get them to bed. So we did that on purpose for that reason. Really hope you'll be here this Friday at 530. I think we're going to have a good time in here. It's always a lot of fun. Next up, I'm trying to remember. Okay, so we got a Christmas Eve services coming up. 
3 o'clock, 4.30. So we got our morning services and afternoon services. The only difference is the style of music. So if you like a little more contemporary, Phil, I'd encourage you to come 9.15, 10.45. If you like a little more traditional vibe, 3 o'clock, 4.30 p.m. might be where you want to land. But otherwise, the message is the same across the board, so it's just whatever your preference is. And we really do have you. Hope you come to that and have a Merry Christmas. The last thing, those bring small groups. I didn't know about that one. You should sign up for those sometime. I don't know when. Check the website. Hey, you want to do the announcements? You're better. <laughs> Prime time. It's actually a budget meeting, but we always do a soup and chili cook-off. We've been doing that annually for quite a while. It's a lot of fun. Now, we strategically place that on the second Wednesday of the month because usually it's on the first Monday or first Wednesday and the problem is with that is you guys are all tired from Christmas stuff and so you don't want to do anything so this gives us a little buffer week in between there so it's not so overwhelming to jump into cooking immediately after the holidays and so we always do the soup and chili cook-off as part of that event and it's it's one of those things we charge about five to ten bucks it's five dollars per person or ten dollars for your whole family and then the winner, the person that cooks and makes the best pot of soup, basically gets to decide where all that money gets contributed to for one of our missions that we host. So the reason we bring that up so early is because we need contestants. So if you get on the website, you can sign up on a job form and sign up for that cook-off. Or you can just talk to me right after this service. I'd love to sign you up for that. Stacy, what? Or your connection card. Yeah, just fill out your connection card and play it place it in the basket as you exit today. Let's stand and pray together. Father, I just pray a blessing over everyone that's here and their week. I just pray that what happened here today was a blessing to them and they can take it with them and just find peace in a very busy time in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing for us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. God bless everyone. We'll see you next week.